0: animation celery it's crunchy conversations about love i sleep all night in a cake made of strawberry wake up bright in a cake made of strawberry living right in a cake made of strawberry i'm micah i'm matsy i just
1: live in an apartment <laughs> and this show is we're giving each others the cartoons that we can watch and then come back and recap and review and discuss them and uh this is the Valentine's Day episode, I guess. So we're going to go with that. Uh, and Micah mm-hmm. told me to watch this thing about mice and cookies, and I gave him a thing about sheep and cities. Um, and first, I don't know, let's talk about whatever. What, what do you got? What do you, What's up?
0: Well, I regretfully have to inform people that we're not going to get an Oz book this week. I haven't finished TikTok of Oz, so no update huh. this week, but it's Aww. coming. <laughs> um. I did keep watching Steven Universe Future, however. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm right into the thick of building toward the climax. <laughs> building to why Steven is glowing pink and growing randomly. Well, yeah. not randomly exactly, but uh, yeah. Still good. Um, mm. Quality's very good. Uh, the animation's good every episode, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if maybe there's a little too much Steven since every episode has him, you know, <laughs> that maybe, well, it's only, uh, how many episodes is it? 20? Um, something like that. Yeah. So it's kind of checking every box for giving focus to each, excuse me, to each gem. Yeah. Yeah. As a consequence, there's not a lot of time for any one of them.
1: I guess that's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Also, I kind of was thinking, like, is this show for kids? Hmm. Um, okay. There's like a marriage proposal in the episodes that I watched.
1: Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I. It took me a second to like, wait, who's get? Oh, right,
0: that. Yeah, yeah, and and there's um, like sophisticated themes about uh, finding your role in life, or like uh. Well let's see what do they handle? They, they handled uh one is being unable to relate to others, like growing apart. Mm-hmm. Um there was a episode where uh Steven's dad, Greg, takes him on a road trip with a stop at his parents' place. Yeah. Yeah, and it established his rocky relationship with his parents, Greg's. Uh, uh, with uh mm-hmm. the uh yeah, and it didn't neatly resolve it by the end of the episode, which was kind of nice, actually.
1: Yeah, those things don't are even
0: complicated. Sp- yeah, we don't even meet the parents. It's yeah. just him, like, uh, sneaking into his house to get some uh, old stuff. Yeah. Um. So, when I was thinking about this overall, I kind of think that this show is for everybody. It, I don't think it's so narrow that only... Adults would enjoy stories like this. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably good fare for kids that they could relate all this stuff to.
1: Yeah, I think there is a tendency to um, underestimate what kids can understand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they, a lot of things should kind of dumb it down and make it simple, but... Kids, especially in a modern world like this, like, deal with a lot of stuff that you kind of don't think they're prepared for. Like, how many kids have to deal with, you know, a divorce at a young age and living with parents who live separately from each other and don't hang out? Like, you know, there's there's a lot of, like, that basic nuclear family thing is not something you can even take for granted nowadays. Mm Mm-hmm. Um,
0: oh, mm. uh, to, to the extremes, there was an episode where Stephen gets checked out by Connie's mom. Connie's mom is a doctor. Right. And she supposes that maybe some of his responses are from past traumas. And then he just lists the things that happened to him in, to him in season one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his body. I mean, he's Steven's power is healing.
1: Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But then you look at his body. It's like, wow, you've. Your body has been damaged over and over again. Right,
0: right. In his own... uh, ex- his x-rays full of skull fractures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's rough. Uh Yeah, I think any kid that's grown with this cartoon, you know, <laughs> or is even mm-hmm. just a fan of it, they they're well prepared for handling the uh sophistication of the stories. I would hope um, so, yeah. Yeah.
1: I I like how it doesn't you know certain things will pop up and it doesn't really hold your hand too much in it like did you hmm. see the episode where um uh Lars and Sadie get reunited and um are talking to Steven about their relationship
0: oh all think- the stuff that happened off off camera yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah um i think what's interesting about that is that Sadie has a new romantic interest mm-hmm. who is uh non-binary gendered and yes. they don't make a big deal out of it at all. They don't even mention it. All they do is they just refer to that character with they
0: pronouns. Well, like, it's, it's a complete yeah. non-issue. Um, well, part of like you, when you bring this up, I, I feel like toward the end of Steven universe, the first series, yeah. um, that they kind of were building it uh from uh its societal meaning outward and then attempt like I for me it works better when you build a story and then attach what its meaning is to you in real life, you know, okay, and I kind of feel like they were doing it backwards a little bit, which was you know less palatable like like for example, uh Stephen having to uh S- Stephen being a reincarnation of his mother. Being an allegory for changing your gender was a hmm. little heavy handed toward the end, I felt.
1: Ah, um, uh, yeah. I guess I can, I guess I can see that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, uh, no, overall, I'm still having a good time. Um, got to see another Jasper focused episode, so I enjoyed that quite a bit. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just kind of like how, uh, unapologetically brutish Jasper is. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's getting so you can't find a good boulder around here anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like, I guess like She's like, I got rid of all those little green earthlings. And Steven's yeah. like, you mean the grass? like,
0: I don't know their names. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. That's good. Um, I have one little disappointment. And there was an episode that had a fair bit of Ruby in it. And I, I, it seems to me that Charlene Yee, the voice uh, for Ruby, that their voice work is getting a little too polished, hmm. whereas I like it better as a rough cut, so to speak, where like Sh- Charlene's voice work was, uh, how to describe it, amateurish? Or it was just weird. Was and Weird, in that ep- yeah. Yeah. In that episode, it seemed to be moving a little too standard hmm. for my liking.
1: Well, um, I don't know. Maybe she's getting used to it or, or maybe it's just because I can't remember. It was that was that episode about like our Ruby or one of the other. Ru- well, I guess if it was our, one of the Ruby. Yeah, I was going to yep. say if it was one of the other Rubies, then you would have said like Navy yeah. or Eyeball or whatever.
0: But yeah, yeah. It, was the, it was the marriage proposal episode. And Ruby gives gives Stephen the idea yeah. like it just, just proposed marriage. It's what I did right away. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, I wonder if Charlene Yee had this thing where, you know, she was voice acting Ruby mm-hmm. and then she had to do five other distinct Rubies. And so oh, going back maybe. to the regular Ruby is just comfort. It's like, maybe. this is just my normal Ruby voice. Um, I wonder, I haven't watched enough of we bear bears to see how her voice kind of mm. uh, progressed in that show.
0: By the way, not a big thing for me, but uh, speaking of non-binary Charlene is a they, Oh, I didn't days. know that. Yeah, yeah. I was not aware of that. Oops. Hmm. Well, pitfalls of modern life. Yeah, true. Anyway. Anyway, so still good. I imagine next week I'll uh, finish up the series and find out mm. how it all resolves. Hmm. If it does at all, for that matter. Um. Oh, and also, uh, um, still looking for the woman of mystery. And based on Pearl showing her, showing us her friends, that would have been the perfect chance. To show the woman of mystery that they haven't looks pretty bad for those odds. Aw. Anyway, um, what else I do? I did. Uh, oh, I watched a Speed Racer audio commentary. Oh. Yeah, it had commentary by Peter Fernandez, the director and localizer of the Speed Racer scripts, and he's <laughs> also the voice of Speed and Racer X. Oh. Yep, and Corin Orr voice of Trixie and Spritle and all the women and kids on the show. Sure. Um, by the way, she's still alive. Remarkably. She's like, uh, in her late eighties. Huh. Um, anyway, uh, they're both fun. Um, she is just a delight. She's ultra positive. Um, just talks about how much she loves Trixie as this, uh, capable woman. Actually, it's really true. Um, I mean, in the show, she can drive. She can fly a helicopter. Well, I mean, she she can drive like a racer, and she can no. fly a helicopter. Um, and occasionally, she even gets into hand-to-hand fighting. So, <laughs> yeah. And she noted that uh, she never has wrinkled clothes, and her hairstyle is always intact, regardless. Um, <laughs> well. Oh, oh. Speaking of uh, Corinor, um, so I've listed some of her voice work before. Yeah. You know what she's. You know what she's best known of as. What. The Snuggle Bear from the Snuggle Fabric Softener.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that you mention it, I think that might have been mentioned at some point. Because really? I feel like I feel like this isn't the first time in relatively recent memory that I've thought of the Snuggle Bear.
0: Hmm. Um oh, you know what's also funny, is the first episode on that uh, um audio commentary was the Car Hater. So <laughs> I I got to enjoy the ridiculousness of that episode again. I think the other episode, I don't I don't know if it was one, maybe it was multiples. Was uh, the mammoth car, uh, where? <laughs> oh, well, this is speed racer for you. The other participant in a uh, the, uh, speeds speeds uh, competition in a race was just a gigantic car. <laughs> um, and never mind its lack of maneuverability, one would suppose, for being gigantic, but also was a scheme to conceal gold within its frame. Okay, like, that wouldn't help it move fast. No. Uh, anyway, um, so Peter Fernandez was also fun too. Um, unlike, like, I think Corin Orr could still do Trixie, Trixie's voice, yeah. um, and Spridal. I don't think Peter Fernandez could as much. He's, his voice has aged a little more, but you can yeah. definitely hear Speed in there, and... He's a little more laconic, <laughs> but he's still positive in parts. Like, one part that delighted me was he was talking about, you know, how he's localizing shows back in the day and how, when he got Speed Racer, just how impressed he was with the visuals of the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. He talked up, like, the oh, the animation was great and the backgrounds and, uh, but, but <laughs> he added, oh, and it was in color. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Give you some perspective of the time, right? Like okay. he was he he was uh uh transliterating uh Marine Boy and the first Astro Boy, gigantor, you know, black and white shows that <laughs> that were like barely animated. So Speed Racer would be uh pretty dynamic by comparison. By comparison, I guess, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it was fun hearing that. I'm
1: just thinking of this one. I didn't mention it in my review of it, but there was this one part in the in the car hater when yeah. when Speed is going to find Trixie and uh, the other lady and the, yeah. the Mr. Trotter on his horse and, and Speed's like, you know, you'll never catch him on that horse. Come on with me. And Trotter's like, I swore an oath and he goes off and there's this, it just focuses on Speed Racer's face for a second. And he blinks mm. and he blinks again and he says, okay. And yes. it's so funny. It It's <laughs> yes. so much like I'm thinking like there's a, there's a Homestar Runner cartoon um, mm. when it's got the, the old timey 1936 Homestar Runner. Right. And like uh, Strong Bad is yelling at him about something and Homestar just blinks twice and goes, what? <laughs> and right. and that's just a recurring thing where he's like, we'll have a duel. What? And I'm just thinking, yeah. I wonder if they got that from that episode of Speed Racer <laughs> because it's Maybe. so
0: similar. It's the same thing. Maybe. Like, Fernandez said that they'd given him a lot of permission to basically do what he wanted with the scripts. <laughs> and a lot of the cases, what they got was very bare bones. <laughs> so he might not even have, like, known. There might have been narration over that that just, you know, he might not have <laughs> known was there so yeah, mm, he said yeah, like yeah. like they they didn't even know that Racer X was speed's brother spoilers, um mm. but uh, so yeah he, he was just finding it out as he went along right the scripts <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah fun, yeah, yeah, um, another little bit of fun, uh, so earlier on, I heard this or last night actually, it was this big uh this this big crashing noise and the, the littlest cat came running out. Right. So it just kind of remained a mystery. I don't know what that was. Well, in the other room, I have a, uh, a stack of artwork papers and he mm-hmm. just knocked them all over. Right. Oh. And as, as it comes to like cleaning up, you always get distracted by stuff. One of the things that I'd found in there, um, way back, I didn't deliver on this. It was just kind of my hallmark. Um, but I I was making a one-shot fourth edition Dungeons & Dragons uh, for Smash Brothers. Oh, weird. Yeah, yeah, I had... Okay, so, like, I think I had all of the uh, player character roles represented, and I think the playables were... There were pre-generated characters for it. Uh, It were Mario, whose class was Jumpman. Um, Okay. uh, Link was in there. Uh, Peach was in there. Samus... And Pikachu I think it was just those five okay right. um and it was it was very much just kind of a hack and slash thing you know just to play at a con I yeah I, I didn't have it ready for the con but um I did just have like remarkable visual aids so each of those characters I made a really sweet ink drawing of uh each of those five characters but then like other um I think Giga Bowser was the ultimate no no there was master hand in there too because I drew a hand i drew a gloved hand uh let's see um there was a in the visual age there's a paragumba um i think i' will uh oh uh metroids and Octoroks. Hmm. it was a yeah it was quite something going down memory lane with those drawings um hmm. neat yeah gosh yeah. i'm just i'm just thinking
1: that probably would have been like Smash Brothers Brawl or something.
0: Yes, yes, because I actually got a uh, Smash Brothers Brawl from that uh, poster from that convention. Ah. So, yeah. (laughs) Neat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's all I got this week. How about you, Matzy?
1: I didn't do a lot this week. I've been working and dealt with some cancer stuff, which I won't go into. Mm. Um one thing that I did was I was kind of telling my parents. yeah, This is weird because it's, you know, sometimes I think there was an episode recently where I was talking about something and you kind of laughed and like, you know, this is the explaining to your parents part of it. where oh. it's like,
0: yeah, you know, it's a, it, I go to that often. I think it was we're talking about Steven Universe yeah, well, <laughs> and, I mean, and how how unparsable it is. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, I got to
1: talking about uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. With yeah, my parents. And my mom was having she was like, I'm trying to picture what this show would actually go. Mm. And I'm like, well, it's on Netflix. Let's watch some now. And so mm. we watched the first like, I don't know, three episodes of it. Yes. Uh And my parents both liked it enough that they have continued to watch it. That's without cool. me around. Yeah. Now, <laughs> at the same time. That was going on. I finished, I mean, I, t- I told you last week that I finished The Legend of Korra, but I right. I finished it after this had already happened. And so I'm thinking about my mom's tastes in shows and I'm like, she might like The the Last Airbender, but I don't, I think The Legend of Korra might be a little too sci-fi for her. Okay. I, think, I think once you get to a giant mech stomping through a city shooting lasers at things that that might be a little, um, a little outside of, uh, the more low tech hundred year okay. war. Right.
0: Um, but I'd on the still... other hand, on, hmm? on the other hand, relative to us, it is sort of, uh, the, uh, roaring thirties. It is. I think that that, yeah. like, I've
1: always thought like 1940s or so thirties or forties. Yeah. Cause, but yeah, at the same... And that's why it was so jarring at the end where it's like they they barely understood... They barely understand moving pictures, yeah. but also they have multiple-story-tall robots that shoot lasers. So, okay. It's definitely yeah. not an Earth analog. But anyway, um, mm. with that in mind, I'm going to continue with Avatar for a second because I've, I'm still reading this uh, Avatar Legends role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And... I've gotten to the part in it where it starts talking about how to run a game, how to be a GM. Now, I this is always a weird thing for me in in role playing books like this, because I I feel like I kind of have a pretty good grasp on being a GM at this point. Mm -hmm. And so once you've learned the mechanics of a game, then the book goes into, OK, philosophically, here's how you run a game. And I start to kind of um, zone out a little bit because it's like, yeah, I I know philosophically how to run a game. Like I've, the, the main difference is the specific game mechanics of this game. But in terms of running a game, you already know it. Mm-hmm. But I was interested in the ways that this book holds the hand of a new player. Um, because I, it's, it's, it has to assume that the people who are playing this game have never played a role-playing game before.
0: Oh, I think they should. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, that's the problem with role-playing games in general until this, uh, super popularity of modern D&D, right? Yeah. Is that you, you couldn't pick up a book and learn to play. You always needed to have someone else teach you how to play.
1: Right. Hmm. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And... That's what I mean, because this book does an interesting thing where it treats the GM like another player Mm -hmm. and it it lists off things that you can do and it frames them as GM moves in the same Mm -hmm. way that characters have moves that they can do like attack or, you know, plead or trick or whatever. This also has GM moves. And it's like, you know, as the GM, there are these are specific things that you can do. And it's it'll be like, here's a let me hang on. I'm going to get the book. Give me a sec. okay, okay, so GM moves list like. And so what it does is it lists off all these things that you can do. Inflict fatigue or a condition, reveal a hidden truth, shift their balance, twist loyalties with tempting offers, Escalate to violence, offer a risky or costly opportunity, threaten someone, shift the odds suddenly, exploit a weakness in their history, provide wisdom in unlikely places, turn a move back on them. And then it has an explanation of what these do and example, they call them golden opportunities, which are examples of times when you can unleash these things. it's like reveal a hidden truth. You know, if a PC successfully assesses a situation by scoping out the temple they're trying to infiltrate, and when they examine the artwork, they see a story describing a difficult cr- truth about their people's past. Hmm. Um, I like that. I like that yeah. a lot. I like the idea of breaking it down into, you know, it's still covering like here, you know, as the GM, your job is to build the world and tell the story and whatever, Although this game does kind of treat it more as a collaborative storytelling effort. Yeah. But I like the idea that it's breaking it down into moves like you would make as a player. Mm-hmm. It's like something has happened. Oh, you have a trick up your sleeve that you can do at this point to make the story more interesting or move it forward.
0: Yeah, you could still do anything, mm-hmm. but it's good good to contextualize it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting breakdown of how to be a
0: GM. Hmm. I've mentioned it before, I'm certain, but uh, do you remember uh, Ryutama? Uh, Never played this game. Uh, It's a a Japanese role-playing game about uh, journeys. So basically all the player characters get together and they decide to take a trip. Um, Like the culture of this world is that everybody... One, at least once in their lifetime, takes a grand journey. Okay. Um, now, in that, the uh, GM sort of has their own player character, uh, this, like, personage that shows up from time to time, and mm-hmm. in reality, it's a dragon that can shapeshift. Okay. Um, now, in the same way, you have abilities. You, you pick an item, and that affects the game, and also you have some abilities you can do that uh, diminish your reserve of, of, of but you, you're kind of, you're, you're working with them. So basically as a GM, you're kind of wearing two hats. You make this adventure full of challenges, but also you're this pseudo player character that shows up from time to time and can interfere. Mm-hmm. But once you've run out of all that resource, basically the last one you tick off is self sacrifice which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, like, you know, they, they're they going to starve to death in that cave. So I'm going to give the last of my life forces, this powerful dragon to uh, help these travelers continue onward. Kind of mm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're oh. working against your own, you've, you've built the challenge, but you're also, you have mechanics to contribute to the success of it. Kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. I remember, I can't remember if you were there or not, but um, early in my role-playing career, uh, we were hanging out and uh, it was one of those things where we just pulled some stupid game out of our butts to play. And yep. I don't know if it was something made up or something that he found on the Internet or whatever, but our friend Saul uh, ran a role-playing game based on Doctor Who.
0: Huh. Do you remember that? There is a Doctor Who game, but it was probably just made up. It was, it was probably brute forced into Gerps. <laughs> Maybe. More well, than likely. Yeah. the thing that
1: I remember about it is that the doctor was played by the GM. Like the Makes pla- sense. the player, yeah, it does make sense. Like the players were all the companions. Well, well the GM was just kind of, you know, this mm. um omni What's the word for when so, you know everything? Omni... Omniscient. Omniscient, that's it. Yeah. Just this omniscient being who can help out a little bit, but most mostly his job is to know everything and explain it mm. and let the companions do the work. And I sort of, I think about that sometimes when I'm looking at this, for example, this Avatar game mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, how do you get the hero? Like, you know, you have this group of heroes in the world and I'm thinking, what kind of threats can you have them face? Because if it's some big world-threatening like villain Mm -hmm. chances are the avatar is going to be brought in to deal with it. Yeah. And you're, and you're not the players aren't the avatar. So it's an interesting thought of like, how do you build these secondary threats where it's like, we have, we have some real heroes who can take this person down, but they're busy and this is more minor. So you do it. Hmm. And I wonder about that, like thinking about how to build a game. I'm like, how do I, how would I make a story and explain why the threat cannot be handled by Korra?
0: Well, maybe, maybe you're right. Like maybe a more granular look at the setting would be nice because all we've gotten is, to this point is avatars. That's true. Yeah. Like kind of like how for Star Wars, I'm utterly sick of Jedi And I would like (laughs) to see something different in the world, you know, the spice runs and all that, so to speak.
1: I guess it's true. The avatar can't be everywhere. Um, I sort of imagine like that, that hundredth episode of My Little Pony, the fan service one where, Hmm. where all the minor characters were dealing with a wedding and just in the background, sometimes you'd see the (laughs) main six fighting a monster. I'm sort of thinking of (laughs) that where like, you know, the players are just doing whatever and then suddenly, you know. Cora and Mako go by in the background throwing fire at this other guy. Ha, like, <laughs> maybe.
0: I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'd diminish it in that way, no, but I would say I instead that it wasn't... Yeah.
1: I, I think you'd have to... Because I think a lot of fun in that would be to bring in characters that you know to to have, like, you know, you're doing some... Maybe. You're doing some game. And it's like, oh, and this guy pops up and he's a really old man with like white hair and this pointy white beard. And his most striking feature is a horrific burn scar over his left eye. Okay. It's like, ah, okay. And of course that, (laughs) that depends on all the players knowing
0: what avatar is. I'm thinking, I was going to say, I'm thinking when, when, hmm? when we do this kind of thing where we get together like a gaming group, if we got together, our standard guys, you and I'd be the only person that watched the show.
1: I'm think I'm thinking like two other people who would be there have probably not watched Avatar. I don't know about Matthew. Has Raven seen it? Raven's seen it all. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, it'd be kind of a limited pool of people who actually know what Avatar... So maybe in that respect, you know, I can cheat it a little. And be like, we don't I th- need to see
0: Aang. Yeah, I think I would just build all my own lore. <laughs> I would like build... I would make a new thing, you know, like there's an idol within this, uh, within the air kingdom that does this special thing, and you're going to go do, you know, like mm. do something original, uh, rather than have to, I uh, guess, be I guess con- be constrained. I guess
1: the way to do that then would be because it gives you five eras to play with, and yeah. two of them are based on extended universe, like comics and novels and stuff, which I have not read. So, mm. I, I think it's like if I don't have huge knowledge of the Roku era, well, that might be the perfect place to set a a game because none of the characters are known um, except Avatar mm. Roku, who is just off doing rabbit, uh avatar things. And it's before the war. So it's also bef- it's before the airbenders were exterminated. So players can be any of the four benders at will. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. Instinctively, I feel like Avatar is a good setting for motivating people to do things in your set. Like, like sometimes uh, games, I don't really understand how to make people do things. Superhero games and other games set in modern or futuristic settings. Hmm. It's not as easy as to say, hey, there's a dungeon. Do you want to go in and get the treasure? (laughs) A little harder to do, I find, when uh, people have the power of like a modern city for, for me as a GM to say, wouldn't you like to go here, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I guess it depends, you know, the, like, it's a very character-heavy system, so I think it would really be depending on your motivations and stuff, um, because it has a concept at the beginning. Um, the first time you play, it invites you to sit down with the players all together and combined, you decide which aura era, not aura, era, cora hmm. era, I guess is where I'm getting mixed up there. Um hmm which area you want to play in, what your scope is going to be. Do you want to go all over the world like Aang or do you want to stay in Republic City like Korra? Um, Mm. And it also has a kind of... uh, a not completely role-played on a granular level with combat and stuff, but more like talking Mm. through what happened called the Inciting Event, which explains how your group became a group. It's sort of a a more... um, meticulous okay. version of the we meet at a tavern
0: thing. Um, yeah, well, that's always been one of the uh, yeah. lackluster parts of uh, the traditional model.
1: Yeah, this has a whole system built out for how to do it. Um, it's okay. kind of like I find a lot of comparisons between this and a really obscure game that we once played, which I believe was called Beyond the Wall. Yep. Um, I find a lot of similarities to this, and I find myself wondering if Beyond the Wall was made by the same company
0: magpie games i think it's just a direction of modern roleplay design you know mm-hmm. actually <laughs> for the chat sections here i've been kicking this down the can all week uh all well all the year actually okay talking about the ogl debacle the open gaming license debacle for oh. wizards of the coast and <laughs> yeah it just never kind of inches in here but i i i, I did always want to make the point in there okay. that besides the fact that you shouldn't trust hasbro <laughs> you know now that now that they've totally capitulated on this uh, crisis Um, that you should branch out into other games because D and D really is the laggard in terms of innovation. Mm. They're really looking backward a lot and other games are doing more interesting stuff. Like how a lot of games are doing this collaborative storytelling world building sort of uh, uh, not just um, ethic, but an inclusion of mechanics for doing so. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, talking about Avatar over the wall, um, Blades in the Dark, I mean, there's so many other games out there that are doing so much more interesting stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really hoping that at some point I can actually get to play this Avatar game. Yeah. Um, and I'm suspecting that I may have a lot of time on my hands in the near future. Mm. Um, but speaking of time on your hands,
0: um, <laughs> who, wait, wait. Is that anything? What? Um, Well, sheepy sheep has very little of it. Yeah, I uh, guess.
1: I guess. Okay. How about this? Speaking of the implications of the advance of a modern setting (laughs) on uh, frivolity, uh, (laughs) that was tortured.
0: Sheep in the the Big City. (laughs) Okay. I'm looking at Sheep in the Big City, Be Still My Bleating Heart. This series was created by Mo Willems, Mm. and I think the year 2000. I believe so. Uh, Okay. I think we'll just leap into it here. Sure. Um, The show begins with a melodrama with Sandra and Dirk, two bad actors, reading a bad script where they keep repeating the show's conceit, one life to live. (laughs) Sheep uses the remote control to switch from this direct to the opening credits of his own show, which are kind of fun with lyrics that only go, bah, bah, baa." Yeah. Um, In the show proper, we see that Sheep, what he's been up to in the big city since the pilot episode. He's taking in English as a second language course and uh, to make ends meet, he does multiple jobs. He's babysitting by entertaining kids by swinging tandem jump ropes made from his own wool. Um, he's window washing as the sponge and jumping a fence in order to help insomniacs get to sleep. You see, this was a cliche where you counted sheep to get to sleep. Yeah, um, That's all well and good, but working hard just to get by is a lonely experience. Lots of random cartoon woes befall sheep in the street while a street musician sings and strums a Bob Dylan-esque song about sheep's loneliness. (laughs) But meanwhile, concurrently at the same time, the antagonist, general specific (laughs) calls on private public to remind him why he wants to capture sheep. The script of the pilot episode. Yeah, this is very meta show. uh, Reminds him and us that sheep is the missing component to a new ray gun. Also, General seeds a joke about his frequent memory loss. Yeah, this is more so in the in the uh, pilot and probably other episodes. There's a lot of parodies on military rank, like Oxym- general specific. Oxymorons. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Private, public. It's like uh, whenever there's King Arthur's knights in a Looney Tunes cartoon and they're all like, Sir Loin of Beef. Yeah. Um, I like this. I think there's also a major minor. Sure, general dentistry, all kinds (laughs) of stuff. Um, So, back in the city, Sheep is crippled by loneliness still until he hears the voice of Lady Richington. No, it's not her, but her pet poodle, Swanky. What a vision. (laughs) Sheep is immediately smitten by this woolly dog. They court in a dream sequence slash TV production. You can see, like, cameras and backdrops in the background. Um, Then we break away. For a very necessary lampoon of the Home Shopping Network. (laughs) (laughs) A recurring character, the Angry Scientist, is showcasing his weaponized laser pens. But this scientist just hates to be called mad as opposed to angry. So in a fit, he lasers the whole studio to pieces. Um, years before this show, I was a big fan of this joke. (laughs) Uh... It was from an Inspector Gadget episode where there was a scientist working for the organization MAD. He was the inventor of the Sneezuka, and he always insist, I'm not MAD! <laughs> um, anyway, after that, there's a commercial for the laundry detergent called Oxymoron. Um, yeah, this show's like that. Oh, but, uh, another side note here. You know my workplace sugar daddy that got me the Goofy poster? Yes. So one time we were chatting about how much I liked Wacky Packages, <laughs> and he apparently had some. It, wacky Packages was a collectible card uh, card set that parodied products mm. in the style of of making Oxy Soap and Oxy Moron, for example. Right, right, right. And anyway, he gave me one of his packs. Aw, that was nice. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what series, but I'm pretty sure it predates the ones that we would have had as kids.
1: <laughs>
0: cool. Anyway. Um, back to the story. Protective Lady Richington interrupts the dog sheep romance by beating down sheep, starting by taking off her metallic old lady wig and swinging it like a truncheon. <laughs> um, despite this, sheep boards her limousine to follow his love, but she's willing to crash the car to shake him off. <laughs> she hates sheep. But, yeah, he's persistent though. He shows up anyway throughout the day at a restaurant Wherever Richington shops, but she gives him the hard wig wax each time. And this montage is again set to that Bob Dylan-like ditty.
1: Um, I like his struggles to find things that rhyme
0: with itty. Yeah, like just out of nowhere, <laughs> just ditty, mentioning, just mentioning my friend Smitty. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Richington calls an old friend on the phone to make sure Sheep doesn't bother Swanky again, and it turns out that her old friend. Is General Specific, the leader of a top-secret military organization? Well, that was lucky for Specific. Hmm. Uh, Act 3, though, will have to wait for a commercial by Les Moore and his shop, Less is More, where everything costs more than you'd think. It's like a whose-line-is-anyway Colin mockery joke brought to life.
1: <laughs> kind of. I mean, I like, well, yeah. they're all backwards. Like, he's got this battery that costs like $42,000, but then an elephant right. costs 18 cents.
0: Well, that's true. That's true. It goes both ways. Yeah, it's just Um, the
1: prices are
0: insane. Literally insane. Mm Mm-hmm. So, we're not back to the show yet. There's a public service announcement to warn about a quiet sneak thief. It goes on a while, and then we get back to Sheep and his story. (laughs) Uh, Incredibly, the narrator in his sound booth gives us a recap of the show here. Uh, And then General Specific gets to the mansion. Sheep who had impersonated Richington's wig in order to get into the mansion, runs from the soldiers. Sheep evades them once by impersonating a shrub. Then it becomes that cartoon convention of the setting and means of the chase constantly changing. For example, uh, at one point, Sheep is on horseback and his pursuers are American Civil War Confederate soldiers. (laughs) Or he's in a biplane chased by them in a rocket. Um, Finally, Sheep comes back to his own distorted reality, to hide in the spotlight, dry ice, and ominous music warehouse. <laughs> uh, the soldiers are sent into the atmospheric setting, and there's a nice gag where their silhouettes include Shaggy and Scooby. <laughs> or do I mean Norval and Scooby?
1: Boo, Norval and non-existent. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I saw a um,
1: video, somebody put on YouTube, it was like, this is the best scene in Velma. <clears throat> and it was um, Velma taunting a police officer in his car, daring him to mm-hmm. hit her. And he does. Yeah. Oh, it's just <laughs> like the car hits Velma, and she gets up with like a missing tooth, and like, Ugh. and then the video ended. Like that was like that was the best part of Velma to this
0: person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People love that. Except when it renewed for a second season, you know. It did. Yeah. How? Yeah. Everyone hates it, but I guess that's enough. <laughs> How the frick does something like that,
1: like? Something like that gets renewed for a second season, but Netflix, well, I guess it's a different company, but like shows like 12 Forever and Tuca and Birdie have to either yeah. completely give up or go to a different streaming service to get a second. That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's funny talking about things that didn't transfer. I thought we thought one of the things we liked about Velma was her likability, <laughs> her agreeability, her niceness. I always thought she would just be like, she has a sardonic sense of humor, but not an outright hos- hostile one. Anyway, we're talking about sheeps, yeah. not knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I was speaking of silhouettes, and uh, speaking of them, the soldiers chase one and capture it. In the darkness, however, they end up capturing Swanky the dog, not sheep. An angered Richington angrily <laughs> batters General Specific. And hey, that's probably the cause of his memory loss. <laughs> anyway, Swanky... She uh, purposefully posed as the decoy, so sheep, sheep rather, could escape. And maybe there's something to this romance after all. And then the show just ends with a Swedish guy ranting about how meatballs should be called meat lumps. <laughs> it's like the uh, Swedish George Carlin or Seinfeld. <laughs> you know, I think I think most Swedes wouldn't rant so vociferously because yeah. we've. Our town has had so many Swedish hockey players. <laughs> I think they would be like a. Why do they call them a Swedish meatballs? They would be uh, meat lumps. Anyway, that's the end of this episode. Right. Um, so I've said it before that Tom Ruger produced shows all wanted to be Saturday Night Live, you know, like anime <laughs> and so on. There were apparently some Cartoon Network shows that really wanted to be that too. I'm thinking of this one. I'm thinking of how the early Dexter's Laboratory broke up the episodes with, uh, uh was not Super Friends, Super Roommates, the one, the one where the superheroes are all roommates, or a Dial M for Monkey. Mm. There were a bunch of shows that were just like vignettes. Yeah. Um, it does not work for me here. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, you like the show, I guess. Uh, you know, I do. I like the. Yeah. I Haven't
1: seen okay. a lot of it, but I remember I. I somehow watched the pilot when it first aired. I don't know. Maybe too. maybe it was something that I saw and it was a commercial for, and I was like, "Oh, I got to make sure I see that." Um, yeah. But I remember being amused by the names of all the army guys. I liked the mm. the completely. You know, some. You know, we talked about earlier about inciting events and like ways that okay. you can get your players together. The idea that they've made this ray gun powered by sheep, but they've designed it so that only one specific sheep will fit in it and they don't have that sheep. They have to find a sheep that will fit in the machine.
0: Right. There's a general who brings that up. Should we have gotten the sheep first? Yeah. It's, it's so ridiculous that I like it. For, uh, for me, none of it really works. Like, I think this is all comedy, but it's like, it's theory crafted and not (laughs) pressure tested to see if it can actually amuse people, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, and actually, earlier, we talked about the sophistication of Steven Universe's future. I think this show would have been a lot better if, like its title suggests, um, it was about a sheep actually traversing the difficulties of grown-up life. Mm. It's just sort of a footnote in this episode, but I think it would be funnier than than the military and all that stuff if it was just the sheep that can only bah and, and has to improvise. With his woolly capabilities <laughs> to overcome like real life things. So you kind of want this to be untalkative talkative bunny. Maybe, yeah. I like that show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Speaking of that sheep, uh I actually like the way he looks. Yeah. And I like the way Swanky looks. hmm You know, sheep. If you get rid of that wool, never mind his his weird body, lumpy body that has underneath. But just imagine that his neck continued down at the same profile. He's just a snake. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like a snake beak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I like the way yeah. the, I like the way the characters are designed. Like, the, you know, some of the soldiers are pretty bland, but like a lot of the characters, even background characters, or like you know the actors in that yeah. soap opera, things like that. Okay, they, they just look. They look cool. I like the way they look. I've always... I haven't seen a lot of Mo Willems stuff, but I'm always interested in it. Like, it always looks neat.
0: What else does Mo Willems make?
1: The only thing that I can think of off the top of my head is the movie "Baby's Kids. But... Oh, I, man. Okay. I'm pretty sure that he's done some, like, animated shorts for, like, I don't know, Sesame Street or something.
0: Well, let's just say that I remembered the show looking more 70s than it does but it still looks pretty 70s which is one of your wheelhouses i would think kind of yeah
1: oh, let's, let's see. see i'm just looking, I'm looking at right- at, yeah
0: i'm looking at too. okay oh yeah elephant and piggy i don't know what that is
1: uh started his career as a writer and animator for sesame street where he earned six emmy awards for writing during his tenure from 1993 to january 2002.
0: Ha, huh. you know, that checks out uh one of the voice actresses in this uh the one that plays um uh, Richington. Hmm. Most of her credits are Sesame Street related.
1: Huh. Uh, so I see that he was the head writer for the first four seasons of Codename Kids Next Door. Hmm. Uh and he created another television series for Nickelodeon called The Off Beats. Don't know that one. Hmm. I do remember that actually. What the heck yeah. was it? I remember the name, but I can't think of what it was. Uh, gosh, I got to go look that up now. Cause it looks like there's the Offbeats, who are a leader of like, who are a series of like quirky kids. And then there's okay. the populars who are kind of the, the antagonists of it. Hmm. Huh?
0: I should, I guess I'll just finish. I'll, I'll finish my points with one thing. Uh, <laughs> I did have a weird game that I played while watching the show. Yeah, uh, I convinced myself that most of the cast was Tom Kenny. Y- y- of course none of them are. Y- but yeah,
1: y- you could you could you trick yourself it. into that. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. General Specific sounds a little bit like Ice King. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The narrator. Yes, yes. They all kind of sound a little bit like him.
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Anyway, this was this was fine. I didn't like it, but but I don't. <laughs> I don't have any vitriol to it. It's fine. All right. That's, I guess that's what you can ask for. Um. <laughs> let's see if we can keep that, uh, keep that demeanor <laughs> at a baseline here, was you go to, if you give a mouse a cookie. Yeah, Excuse w- me, if you give a mouse a cookie. Yeah,
1: yeah if you give a mouse a cookie. Uh, it's based on children's books by names that I forgot to record. Uh, Lauren... Fishburn or something. Okay. I'll think.
0: There's two, two authors. Here.
1: Well, there's an uh, author there's and, and a, one. oh, yeah, there. Yeah, okay. Laura, uh, Laura, uh, it was right there. Where, uh, Laura Numeroff and illustrated by Felicia Bond. Okay. Published in 1995. Um, and the idea of the book was that it was kind of a slippery slope. It's described as here. Um, okay. Where, if you give a mouse a cookie then this will happen and then this will ha- and it goes around and around to kind of a starting point again. So it's basically mm. kind of if then um
0: effects and causes <laughs> and that Ge- mm? now generously expanded into a animation.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um I'm kind of, I'm thinking about this, this is obviously for really little kids, and I'm kind yeah. of thinking, boy, how early do kids need to learn about if-then statements nowadays? Because mm. this one, yeah. When did
0: this come out? Uh, uh, the animation is 2020.
1: Okay, yeah. It's an Amazon Prime video thing. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, so this is the Valentine's Day episode. It is called, it, well... The show is still called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, but this specific episode is called If You Give a Mouse a Valentine's Day Cookie. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and I should probably explain that the the idea of this is that there's a boy named Oliver who has a mouse friend named Mouse. And it seems like this is a trend in this town where there are multiple children who have an animal companion Uh, (laughs) with their name. And speaking of animal companions, just to clarify something that I said last week, uh, there are two different classes in the Avatar role-playing game. One of them gets a small animal like Pabu or Momo. And one of them gets a big animal you can ride like Naga or Appa. Sweet. Okay. There you go. A lot of Avatar in this episode to make up for my not having anything else to talk about, which reminds me of something that I meant to mention and forgot to mention. So I'll (laughs) do it now. Um, Okay. (laughs) Okay. I saw on Netflix that there's a second season of uh, Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles. Oh, hey,
0: there's something that got renewed.
1: Cool. I need to watch that, although I am terrified of it because I was very scared of how the first season ended. Hmm. Not in an emotional like, oh, how are our heroes going to get out of this? But more like, oh, no, they're not taking the show in this direction, are they?
0: Hmm. So it to be more like Velma.
1: Hmm. Um, right. I, I have too much vitriol for Velma, given that I haven't actually watched it. I'm just, yeah, I'm just jumping on the bandwagon according to what the internet says. Anyway, maybe I'll report back on, uh, Samurai Rabbits well, next
0: week. You, you, you watched enough to get to the cockroaches humping, so.
1: Well, yeah, that was the first couple of minutes. Yeah. So I guess that's all you need to see, really. But
0: there's no cockroaches so that's a review of yeah, <laughs> Velma. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so
1: there's no cockroaches in this, though. No. All right. So what did I say? Uh, Oliver has a mouse. He gave him a cookie one time. Mm. Now they're best friends and there's various other kids who also have uh, talking animal companions. (laughs) And this is Valentine's Day. So it starts in the morning with Oliver surprising him with a Valentine's Day cookie, you know, heart shaped with pink frosting on it. And Mm. hey, mouse is like, all right. but He's like, oh, you don't get a cookie. But Oliver's like, ah, that's okay, I don't need a cookie, as long as I got my best friend, who is a mouse. Hmm. And the two of them spend the next two minutes singing a song composed almost entirely of the word together.
0: Yeah. Afterward... Also also weird combinations. You know, like, pancakes pancakes and syrup, sure. Cookies and milk, of course. Muffins and jam... I don't know if I've ever put jam on a muffin.
1: No, I mean, I guess you could if it was a bran muffin or something. But I had a blueberry muffin this morning, and I didn't feel that it needed jam.
0: The only circumstance I can think of is if I'm at a hotel that has a continental breakfast and they have those packages of jam, and I figure, why not? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and the other one was donuts and juice. I mean, yeah, I, guess, I don't. It's a classic. Classic donuts and juice. (laughs) That's
1: that taste sounds too sweet for me. If I'm having a donut, I would like something like milk to dull Mm. it down. But maybe that's because I'm 45. Mm. (laughs) I'm not the target audience for these foods. No. Okay. so where are we? Okay, they make plans to give valentines to their friends. And Mm. if they're going to give out valentines, then Moose needs his (laughs) mail truck. Moose? Mouse. Moose is different because he's made valentines for moose and pig and cat and dog. But, oh, he realizes that he also didn't make a Valentine's Day card for Oliver. Boy, realizing in real time what a bad friend he is. However, Oliver is a good friend who doesn't need tokens of affection from his friend. He's just whatever. As long as we can hang out today, that's all I need. All right. Mm. So they go to leave. But as soon as they open the door, they find all their friends waiting for them and they <laughs> uh, Oliver goes out to give Mrs. Jenkins a card Well, the animals all exchange their cards. And now Mouse explains his dilemma regarding Oliver's card. See, he wanted to make Oliver a really super special one, but he never got an idea that he thought was good enough. And he shows off this cookie that Oliver gave him. He's like, isn't this great? And Oliver has nothing. What am I going to do? Now, Moose comments that the cookie is even mouse-sized, and that gives Mouse... Boy, I am going to get screwed up with Moose and Mouse a
0: lot here. They're the same voice actor, too.
1: Yeah, um, Mouse gets the idea to make Mm. an Oliver-sized, Oliver-shaped cookie for Oliver. So then Oliver gets home from his uh, quick errand, and the animals cover up the surprise while Oliver goes to do chores, which is his Valentine's Day gift for his mom. So now they gotta do some planning. If they want an (laughs) Oliver-sized cookie, then they have to measure how big Oliver is. Fortunately, all the animals always carry around measuring implements. So while they help Oliver do their chores, the animals secretly measure him in various ways. And in the end... They have a blueprint for their cookie, complete with color swatches for the frosting and sprinkles. Yeah. Hmm?
0: Oh, it's, just, it's cute. It is cute, <laughs> they yeah. the swatches, yeah. Yeah.
1: But now they got another problem. If they want to make an Oliver-sized cookie, then they need an Oliver-sized oven, which is a really sinister phrase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they figure the cookie factory will be a good place to find a giant oven. Now, Oliver's done with his chores and he wants to hang out with Mouse. He figures they can uh, go down to the park for the snow sculpture contest.
0: Or is it a contest? I don't even remember. Kind of a rare thing, uh, Valentine's cartoon with a snowy environment.
1: I was thinking that too. I was thinking, actually, Mm -hmm. I
0: guess it is still the middle of February, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess this takes place in the northern part of the United States. I guess. Maybe even Canada. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Let's say it's Minnesota.
1: Okay. Okay. So he wants to hang out with Mouse, but Mouse makes his excuse and backs off with his friends. And at the cookie factory, the owner, who is cleverly named Mr. Doherty, mm. is all on board with making this giant cookie. It turns out that he even has a giant cookie button that he's always wanted to push. And he lets Mouse yeah. do the honors. Next, so, you know, that makes the batter, and next on the assembly line is the cookie cutter box, which is, uh, I guess more useful than Donatello's egg painting box. Yes. Uh, this thing even has a handy slot for inserting giant cookie blueprints. Uh, (laughs) It's from the Batcave, this thing. (laughs) Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the cookie comes out nice and Oliver-shaped, and they add sprinkles to color it in, but Dog pushes the wrong button and screws the colors up. But hey, the baker is happy to call it a test cookie and makes another one. Uh, Turns out they put the sprinkles on it before the baking section, which seems to me it can only go wrong, but uh, I'm not a cookie baking Mm. expert. While it's baking, Mr. Doherty shows off uh, how an automated system takes cookies from the assembly line to be boxed and stacked on pallets and put on trucks. This is literally my job. And I can, I can tell you that no matter how automated the machine seems, it still needs a person to supervise it when the robot goes awry, which it will. But anyway, uh, cat wants to see the mouse. Oh my God. See, this is how you can tell (laughs) that I made notes because I'm reading a line ahead. Cat wants to see the control room and Mr. Doherty is happy to show it off. Because
0: this is one of those kids show where everyone is good and accommodating. There's really a... Oh, man, this town. If you weren't smiling, somebody would ask what was wrong. <laughs> That's a Monty Python sketch. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Which is also one of my favorite Monty Python sketches. But anyway... Uh, so where was I? A cat sees control. Oh, mouse wants to hang out and wait for the Oliver cookie. And dog stays too, which raised my red flags way high since dog has already proven that he's the idiot catalyst for problems. (laughs) But it's actually mouse who makes the first mistake. He jumps on the conveyor belt and then the robot puts him in a cookie box. And then Dog jumps up and grabs the Oliver cookie and they both get put into appropriately shaped boxes which makes me wonder why Mouse didn't get a mouse shaped box, but blah blah. They get put onto a truck and sent out for the delivery as the others get back from their impromptu factory tour. They figure Mouse must have just taken the cookie home. And Mr. Doherty is inspired. Hmm. Anyway, the truck that Mouse and Dog are on arrives at a Place, and when they get out of the truck, they find that town isn't far away. So they walk with their big cookie. Meanwhile, Oliver is looking for Mouse, and Pig and her human companion Piper meet up with them, and they head to the park to make snow sculptures, figuring maybe that's where Mouse went. Pig is uh, staying silent on the surprise here, although she is legitimately
0: does not know where Mouse is. Um, By the way, hmm? you're talking about walking with this cookie. At one point, Dog says, this cookie's getting heavy, and he passes it to Mouse. <laughs> now, this is a boy-sized cookie, <laughs> and Mouse just carries it on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this so, <laughs> this can't be that heavy a cookie. Oh, and never mind that, though. It is too heavy a cookie because I'm going to lose suspension of disbelief for this cartoon that's got a walking, talking group of animals. Yeah. I don't think a cookie of that size, no matter what it's made of, could hold its integrity. Yeah, it's a pretty
1: tough cookie, so to speak. (laughs) 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 Anyway, uh, Mouse and Dog are still walking and a passing skier drops her Valentine's Day card. So Mouse hops on a bit of wood to sled after and deliver the the card. I was getting ahead of myself again. I was conflating card and dog to make cog. Because Dog trips and drops the cookie, but the skier catches it and she gives them directions back to town. They got to go past the ice rink, which is a frozen pond. And Mouse is carrying the cookie when he stumbles onto the ice, just in time for the Valentine's couple's ice dancing competition. He wins the dubious prize for best mouse and cookie couple. (laughs) Lucky he showed up. Uh, Next, they have to go over the hill and a ski lift takes the cookie. Mouse and dog chase after it as it's dropped on a slope and slides away. At the park, We get to see all the animals with their humans, and Oliver is looking for Mouse. And he finds him when the cookie slides off of a snow ramp and flies into a tree. And you can see that it's got like pine needles and dirt all over it now. And Mouse is disappointed that the cookie is all soggy and dirty. But uh, Oliver assures him that he likes the cookie just fine. And besides, his favorite part is spending the day with Mouse. They make their own snow sculpture during a reprise of their together song Mm. to remind you just how well muffins go together with jam. You really should try it.
0: By the way, speaking of things that go together, I was a little worried when the start of their sculpture was them rolling two big snowballs side by side.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was worried that their uh, rather uninspired heart shaped sculpture was going to win the prize. But oh, yeah, right, right. It seems like there was no prize. It's not a Mm. competition. They're just making sculptures. But then Mr. Doherty shows up. He was inspired. He made life-sized cookies of all the animals, including Mouse. So Mouse is just rolling in cookies in this episode. Hmm. Also, there's the test cookie from earlier. So Oliver still gets a Oliver size and shaped cookie. He even likes it, even Hmm. though the colors are all off. And Oliver Hmm. wonders if he gave you a Valentine's Day cookie. What do you think would happen next? I would well, I, think, I would eat it.
0: Well, then it would lead to a glass of milk, and then it would lead to a who knows, you know. Uh, I'd have to go to
1: the store to get the milk, and then while I'm there, I'm thinking, oh, I, I gotta get some more peanut butter, too, and some tuna, and maybe <laughs> bagels would be good. And then I end up spending more money than I meant to, and then my rent check bounces, and I'm out on the streets! Ah.
0: Oh. This is the melding of what I wanted in sheep in the big city. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta Smith. live on the streets in the big city, the big old city with my friend Smitty. Speaking of these, merging these two. Last week, I unironically complained about shows where uh, people don't have distinct names, <laughs> and we picked shows where characters are named Sheep and Mouse and Moose and Cat and Pig and Dog. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Uh, well, what do I say about this show? Uh, it is very obviously for little children. Um, yeah, it looks like the book. It also looks to some extent like every other really little kids show. Say, yeah, hi, you, um, it's, uh, I, I had one in my head a second ago and it just kind of floated away.
0: Oh, um, what what's the one with the ballerina, the mouse ballerina? Ooh, that'd be a good one. Um. No, no, I I think I might oh, know what you're talking about, but I don't know the name of it. Yeah, we don't know our kids shows very our little kids shows. I think the, there's the one two with the the two rabbit uh, sister and brother. Peppa looks very much like I was well. Oh, there's Peppa Pig. Peppa as well. Pig yeah. is
1: popular, but it doesn't look like this. It
0: has its own style. No, 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 no. Um, um, I, I think yeah yeah you're right. It preserves the aesthetic of the book pretty well. Yeah, but the animation just doesn't quite do it for me. There's a little too much. Um, Uh, limb pinwheeling, you know, or they haven't drawn new stuff. It
1: looks, it looks like one step ahead of the early Flash animation cartoons, like, uh, 16 or uh, Jacob
0: Tutu. There's, that's a good comparison. Uh, there's more attention given to Mouse, which makes sense. He gets more kind of, more drawings. Yeah. But a lot of the humans are just kind of pinwheeling. Yeah, a little bit. Um, um... For the de- for the designs, now it's pig watch time. Oh, I do appreciate a chubby pig, but but I really like it when I see a svelte pig, like Pig in this show. Yeah. Um, also, I enjoy how enjoyably effed up looking cat is. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of cat looks pretty weird. The yeah. eyes, like all the characters yes. have, yes. All the characters
1: have dot eyes, but they took the extra effort yeah. to put like white fur around the eyes. So they end up looking like it's just like staring wildly all the time.
0: Yes. <laughs> and I'm not sure. I, I bet this cat doesn't blink in the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, let's see. So, yeah, not I'm not really
1: the target audience for it, but like no. I, I realize what this show is, so I'm not holding it against yeah. it as it goes. Like, I'm just watching it like, yeah, there's not going to be a major antagonist. Nothing is going to go really wrong. No. The cookie's probably going to get wrecked or I was actually kind of worried. Like I was, I was in such a feel good mode that I was worried that, um, Oliver is going to get more and more depressed as, Mouse kept making more and more excuses to not hang out with him.
0: Now, that's not that chance. That's not the way the story
1: went. It's more feel good than that. So hooray. I guess, you know, if you're settling into a show like this and you think this is going to be nothing, no stakes are going to be really high and nobody's going to be real (laughs) disappointed. And then you as the viewer would be disappointed if somebody was disappointed, but it doesn't disappoint you that way. So it's just feel good.
0: You get exactly what you think you're going to get. I thought the adorableness of a mouse and a cookie would carry me really far. Um, eh, it's okay. Yeah. It didn't really fully d- deliver on my awe vector. Yeah,
1: it doesn't. It, uh, character designs are not that appealing, really. Um,
0: although oh, like the, the pig them,
1: is okay. Yeah. The pig's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, voice cast. Yeah. Mouse is Roger Craig Smith. Who is that, you ask? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you might know him best as Sonic the Hedgehog. Except in the movie. Mm.
0: But yeah. in, like, Sonic Boom, which is a surprisingly good show, by the way. Um, it's not bad, yeah. And he's Batman in the current DC animated movie universe. Mm. Who is not that cool a character? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: another, um, another voice that caught my eye was Jeff Bennett. Because yeah. I'm sure he's done a lot of things. But yes. he was fresh in my mind because... He is the radio announcer in The Legend of Korra.
0: Oh, is he? Okay. He is. <laughs> S- uh-huh. I was going to like, it. okay, he's, he's Petrie, the uh, pterodactyl in the, la- or Pteranodon, I guess, in the Land Before Time movies. Oh, okay. The, the videos, not the original movie. Right. Um, and for animation Celery Links, he's Bradley Upper Crust Third in an extremely goofy movie. Wow. You know, <laughs> that guy who's kind of Rob Paulson for your, uh, to your ear. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: that character who looks like he should be voiced by Rob Paulson, but isn't. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I guess PJ is, th- uh,
0: they would notice. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, huh. There's a couple more voices here, I think. Okay. Uh, Jessica DeSico is Pig. And Lynn and Lucy Loud in The Loud House, and uh, Gwen in Mighty B. Ah. And appar- apparently, the Patchwork Girl in Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Oh!
1: Man, yeah. all kinds of recent stuff we've been talking about is represented here.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the the other one, maybe the biggest one for me, Laura, G- Laura Jill Miller, rather, is Cat. Huh? And Haru and Beastars. And the Tachikoma tanks and Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, and Kari from Classic Digimon, who I would know anywhere. <laughs> Neat. All things yeah. I haven't watched. Well, no, I've, I've seen Oz. Um, well, for, for her resume, all those things I like. Ghost in the Shell, Beastars, Digimon. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, uh,
1: this cartoon is exactly what you think it's going to be, more or less. And any time your sophisticated mind thinks that maybe it's going to veer from what you think it's going to be. No, it doesn't. But that's okay, Right. Because it is for little kids and you kind of you kind of don't want it to be too sophisticated. You know,
0: I guess not.
1: This isn't a cartoon where you have to deal with, uh, you know, some new friend who moves in and wants to have she her pronouns.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> maybe. I'm not, I can't recall pronouns for any of the animals. Maybe some of them are they's. Yeah, maybe. Although I'm pretty, su- right. I'm
1: pretty sure that moose, mouse, and dog are
0: male and cat and pig are female. Probably. Yeah. All, right, all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's get to next week. Okay. No more. No more of this mushy stuff. Ooh. Um, We got a different theme next week. Uh, we're talking about cartoons that might be forgotten. Maybe they're disliked, but darn it, we like them. Yeah. At least the person recommending them likes them. We'll find out whether or not we uh, find some gems here. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Matsy, you would be hard-pressed to remember, or no, <laughs> this cartoon called Monkey Magic. Oof, no. I would like you to watch the first episode, Enter Stone Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Boy, yeah. I got no idea what I'm looking at here. Hmm. Neat.
1: Um, For you, I went for something kind of forgotten, although there's kind of a reason that it's forgotten. Um, okay. The old Disney Afternoon, right? Okay. We got our gummy bears and duck tails and uh, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, Rescue Rangers, Goof Troop. Some people might even remember the later days when they added bonkers and such things. But there was another... Marsupalami, oh boy, yeah, no, there was (laughs) an, actually, you know what, what I originally wanted to do was a show called Raw Tunage, but I couldn't find it, Um, so instead, I went for one of Disney's other animated shows that never quite reached the heights that the other ones did, it's called Wuzzles, oh, yeah, all right, neat. And there's a neat, neat. There, there's a reason why it didn't go as far as the other ones, but we don't need to dwell on it. Uh, we'll just uh, talk about the episode called Moosel's Monster. <laughs>
0: All right. I'm actually looking forward to this. Cool. Okay. Well, that's this show, though. You got to wait a week for that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meanwhile, why don't you give us some other shows to watch and maybe some stuff to talk about? Maybe even send me a Valentine. Maybe a Dongle Goblin. <laughs> I am at Drab Swatch on that stupid platform Twitter.
1: I'm also Itsy. It, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, I'm AC Matsy. I don't think I saw any terrible trends this time, or at least I didn't click on them. Mm. Um, so that's a plus for me. I interacted with Twitter less. But you can interact with this perfectly romantic Celery Stalker slogan.
0: is not feeling giddy. It don't matter if you're witty. You'll still be lonely. Everybody got me a friend named Schmitty, but the sheep he don't, not in this city. Yeah, I'm telling you. Life ain't always so pretty when you're a sheep in the big city. Go, sheep. Yeah, that sheep, we all the sheep. You the sheep, I'm the sheep. Hey, you got a
1: quarter?